Welcome to all of our campuses. We're so excited to have you with us. Uh, God is working. We are on a just a supernatural trajectory moving forward. Campbell uh, County rocking it. Anderson went to two services, record attendance last weekend. North Knoxville blowing it out. Blunt just having the highest attendances they've ever had, our internet campus, our God Behind Bars campus, our Pellissippi campus. By the way, last weekend for you God Behind Bars guys, we had our first, our first promiser in God Behind Bars who was released and worshiped with us last weekend. We're waiting for you guys. We love you. Love you. Now, can I just take one second and just say that last weekend, if you missed, uh, the church did a celebration for Michelle and I, our 20th anniversary. I have never, ever felt more honored and more loved than what you guys did for us last weekend. We just want to say we love you and thank you so much. Uh, we're probably going to, Friday night there was a celebration. I didn't know what was going to happen, honestly. All I knew is I wasn't preaching and there was a party Friday night. And, uh, and we're, we're, we're probably going to put that that thing online that was that we did Friday night or they did and the highlight was me smacking Micah halfway through it. And so it was wonderful actually. It was everybody's most favorite part of the evening. And you weren't there, you don't understand that, so we're gonna try to put that online. But it was wonderful. We again we are so grateful for for your love and, and what you do. Let me tell you what you guys do in that and how you obey the word of God in Hebrews. Remember those who led you who spoke the word of God to you? <laughs> and considering the result of their conduct, imitate their faith. He goes on in verse 17, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they keep watch over your souls as those who will give an account. Let them do this with what? Joy, Joy and not with? For this would be to you. You guys crush this. You are amazing. I talk to pastors every day, and literally half of them tell me I wouldn't go to the church I pastor if they didn't pay me. Fighting, infighting, splits, angry people, talking, gossiping. Man, you guys make it so easily. I believe that's why we're one of the reasons we're seeing the favor of God on our congregation because of how you guys follow. And man, we're just so grateful, so grateful, so grateful. Now, we really never have guest speakers. I, I did not know who was speaking last weekend. I just knew that I wasn't and that the, the staff had prepared. And didn't Steve crush it? Man, he just killed it. Awesome. Pray for Steve. I have two wonderful friends that, the, uh, in New Orleans, uh, Steve and Dennis Watson, two pastors, and they are flooding in South Louisiana. And so, like, Josh's family, Pastor Josh's family had to move, family members, and just pray for those guys down there. But, so, so we rarely have guest speakers. We're going to have three guest speakers in about seven weeks. I'm not leaving. I'm not sick. I just want to go ahead and tell you, don't freak out. So, I want to tell you, next weekend we'll have some handout cards, some invite cards, but on September the 10th and the 11th, David Nasser is speaking. It's in the middle of our game day series. It's about salvation and baptism. David Nasser grew up Muslim, born again, disowned by his family. You talk about an unbelievable story, unbelievable message. This is the weekend to get your friends and family, not your friends that go to another church. They're not going to like it anyway. 
Music's too loud. We do different weird stuff. You're not dressed good enough. They're not coming back. But invite your friends and family that are far from God. It's going to be the perfect weekend. Then the next weekend, the 17th and 18th of September, John Maxwell will be doing the weekend. And so, uh, amen. If you were at the Global Leadership Summit Thursday and Friday, you heard John, my mentor, you heard him speak and always does a great job, but he'll be with us and he'll do all the weekend services. So we're going to have you some invite cards next weekend. I believe we can have 8,000 people both of those weekends. Do y'all? So... First weekend is for family and friends far from God. Second weekend, you business folks that have been inviting your, your coworkers, you can't get them to come, they're going to come if John Maxwell's in Knoxville. So just let them know now. You're going to take them to dinner Saturday night or brunch or whatever and bring them, and God's going to get a hold of their heart. So that's happening. Now, we're going to finish up uh, a series called Religious People Ruin Everything. The last two series, Kingdom Come and Religious People Ruin Everything, have caused more thinking, more stretching, more leaving, more anger, more growth than anything we've ever done. It's caused more tweeting. It's caused more talking. It's caused more stuff. And can I tell you, I used to be a drug dealer and push drugs. I'm pushing Jesus, and I'm going to push you as long as you're a part of this congregation. So, so but a buddy of mine told me Friday at the Global Leadership Summit, he said, you know, Chris, he said, Pastor, man, you are big and Billy bad when you preach. He said, but, but I'm not sure that's who you are deep down. And he really was right. So I say things like, don't let the door hit you where the good Lord splits you. Leave it. I don't care. But honestly, when I say that, I don't think you will. Well, couple weekends ago when I did the message on Jonah and the talking about uh, the Syrian refugees, we had about two or 300 people leave. And so, you know, I, I, I knew it would be controversial, which I'm, I'm going to keep pushing controversy on you. Trust me. This is not a safe place topically. It's just not. It's never good. Jesus was not a safe person. And so, so I was going to, man, was, so when I realized how many people were very angry because a lot of people that go to church are more political than they are spiritual. Come on. Beware of being a Republican or a Democrat before you're a Christ follower. Be careful. Be careful. And so I knew, and so I'm struggling the next several days. I'm in my journal saying, okay, Lord, okay, I knew that they're leaving, they're mad, I'm getting this. So how am I supposed to feel? Then I said, well, let me ask you a better question. How do you feel about it, Lord? It's your church or your people. How do you feel? How am I supposed to emote through this? He took me immediately to John chapter 6. Now, if you've never read John chapter 6, I call it the vampire zombie sermon. Because Jesus said, if you don't eat my flesh and drink my blood, you can't follow me. And they said, huh, did he say eat his, are we going to barbecue him? I mean, we putting him in a gigantic green egg and cooking him and eating him? And so, the, and so Jesus sees that they're struggling with it, so he drives it home even harder. And they start peeling off, man, 10, 50, 1,000, 2,000, 3,000, 4,000, 5,000. And by the end of the message, there's nobody left but the 12. And Jesus looks at Pete and says, hey, Pete, you leaving too? He said, Lord, where else can we go? You have the words of life. And I thought about all those people leaving. And, and what dawned on me is this, that religious people always leave when you say something that makes them angry. 
See, because this is the di- they didn't understand Jesus, but worse than the misunderstanding him, they didn't trust him. And see, those people that were mad at left, they didn't trust. They, they you know, they're, they're angry, they leave, and, and people come and go, I got you, you got the freedom, I understand that. But listen, sons and daughters of the house don't leave. Are you with me? They don't leave. I mean, you know, when, when, you know, when, when Michelle is mad at me, we're not leaving, we're family. I've told her, if you leave me, I'm going with you. You're not getting rid of me, man. I got, I got a home and chip owner. She ain't getting away. Man, I got a good one. I'm not letting her go. And so, and I'm just thinking, though, Jesus is a lightning rod. See, everywhere Jesus went, it demanded a decision. Are you with me? And because of the anointing that's resting on this church, people are forced into a decision that they can sit in, a, in, in several churches and not be forced to make. Does that make sense? Because we get all up in your business. We get all up in your grill, and then you're forced, what am I going to do with this? But here's what we got to do, and this is as the thought of this whole series. We've got to beat the rap of religion, or we will risk ruining everything. Does that make sense? Now, here, let me tell you what religion is. Religion is sin management. We go to church, if you'll stop doing these things, and if you'll cut your hair and wear a dress, if we get rid of the tattoos and the earrings and the nose rings, and all, if if you'll look like us and act like us and talk like us, then we will receive you. Stop doing this, that, and the other. But you know, we only stop doing, we tell people to only stop doing the things that we don't like. Like, we never tell people stop gossiping, because that's an acceptable sin, Right? Come on, if I could add a tape recorder of you on all of those 7,000 of us this weekend, 95% of us gossiped at work or somewhere this week about somebody, a teacher, a coach, a boss, an employee. Come on, is that right? But see, we're okay with that, aren't we? We're okay with gluttony. You ever looked at the pulpits on Sunday? Supersized pastors. And see, that's, you better not drink, but gluttony's okay. Does this make sense? See, religion is sin management while the gospel, but while the gospel is the Savior's mercy. See, religion removes grace and mercy and love out of it. And, and, and here, what, listen, this is the deal. You say, oh, I don't need this. Listen, I need this message. We all do. Because once you've been to church for a while and you've done some stuff for God, then pride begins to elevate in your heart, all of us. Do all of us have the issue with pride? See, pride begins to elevate. It begins to, we begin to look around and say, look at what I've done, look at what we've done. We're the best church, or I got the best small group, or, or look at me at all I've done. Look at all those other people out there. See, religion says, look, what I've done, and the gospel says, look what Jesus has done. It's the same with generosity. We talked about it a few weeks ago. The scribes and the Pharisees, they tithe, and they said, look what I've given, while the gospel says, look what God has provided for me. Does this make sense? See, religion creates a hierarchy, while the gospel creates harmony. See, Faith Promise is a weird church. We got black people. We got white people. We got brown people. We got Asian people. Man, we got poor people. We got rich people. We've got PhDs. We've got high school dropouts. We've got day laborers and doctors. And you know what? We come together under the banner of Jesus and we love each other because of Jesus. Man, that's the deal. 
See, the gospel, the gospel breaks down walls while religion builds them. It just, it builds them. Religion is the older brother we started this series four weeks ago. Remember the older brother, the prodigal? The prodigal comes home, the other brother is mad, and he begins to demand from the father what he deserves because of all he's done for dad. I did this, and I did that, and look at all I've done, and this is what I deserve. See, that's what religion does. It looks at God and demands what I deserve because of what I've done for you. But what that does is make you feel superior to others, and you can't serve people you feel superior to. You can't love people that you're better than. You can't reach people that you're judging. You can't care for people that you think you're so much better. Does this make sense? Come on, do we need some of this? Man, we need it. See, the spirit of religion looks down on people. That's what it does. But, but the gospel looks, man, looks for people. I'm going I'm to look at a passage in Luke 6. This story is in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Remember in high school, you had to write a comparison and contrast paper. Y'all remember that? English Lit. This is what this passage is. It is one of the best passages on comparison between the gospel and religion. It is absolutely perfect. So in Luke chapter 6, verse 6 to 11, somebody did this at Global Leadership Summit, and I love it. So I'm not going to read it to you. We're going to read it together. Can we do that? Can we do that? If you're ready, say, I'm ready. All right, come on, all the campuses. Here we go. On another Sabbath, he entered the synagogue and was teaching, and there was a man there whose right hand was withered. The scribes and the Pharisees were watching him closely to see if he healed on the Sabbath so they might find a reason to accuse him. But he knew what they were thinking, and he said to the man with a withered hand, get up and come forward. And he got up and came forward. And Jesus said to them, I ask you, is it lawful to do good or do harm on the Sabbath, to save a life or destroy it? After looking around at them all, he said to him, stretch out your hand. And as he did so, his hands was restored. But they themselves were filled with and discussed together. Are y'all ready to be taught the Word of God? Is anybody ready? Come on, are y'all ready? All right. What we see here is harsh versus holy, the law versus love. Go back to verse 6. We're just going to walk through this. Another Sabbath, he entered the synagogue, as was his custom, Jesus, and Jesus was teaching because he was a rabbi. There was a man whose right hand was withered. So Jesus is teaching front row. There's a guy whose, whose hand is withered. You got it? I believe that this was a setup to destroy the Savior. This whole deal was a setup by the religious leaders. Verse 7. And the scribes and the Pharisees were watching him closely to see if he healed on the Sabbath so that they might do what? Find a reason to accuse him. See, here's what religion does. Religion watches people to ruin them while the gospel watches people to redeem them. Does that make, come on, does that make sense? That's tweetable right there, by the way. Go on Instagram, that puppy. Come on, man. Just every weekend, listen, social media, Faith Promise, with 7,000 people, we ought to trend in East Tennessee as the number one thing every weekend. Are you with me? So, man, let's get, the, let's get the word out there. Man, everybody hates social media, and I've been aggravated social media. We are going to baptize it, and we are going to get the word out, and East Tennessee is going to get so curious at what God is doing, they're going to come to the house of God. So let's get it out there. Come on. So Jesus is teaching and as he is teaching, he looks on the front row, and there's a man whose right hand is withered. 
The word withered means dry of natural juices. It means that the blood and the life-giving things in the body have quit flowing to his hand, and his hand has withered. Religion produces withered hands and hearts. It doesn't give life. And let me be honest, let me, let's think for a minute. Come on, let's, let's, let's get practical about us from this story. There are a lot of people this weekend don't have withered hands, but you have a withered heart. Because you've been abused, been walked out on, you've been ditched, dissed, divorced, and done wrong. You've been ripped, robbed, and raped. You've had people leave that you thought would never leave. You've been fired, or you've been hated, or your kids have walked out on you, or, or your small group turned its back on you. Things in your life have not turned out like you thought they would, and what happens because of the pressure and the stress of the world, if we're not, if we're not getting the life-flowing natural juices of God, then our hearts wither. Jesus said, I'm the vine, and you are the branch. And what happens is the sap, the Holy Spirit, flows from the root. It flows up through the branch, through the vine, Jesus, into the branches, us, and it produces fruit. But if there's a stopping of the natural juices, there's no fruit. And we wither and we die. That's what happens to God's hand. It's withered and it's died. See, and many of us, would y'all agree, have a withered heart? Now, see, religion can't help that because religion is an outward adherence, compliance to a set of rules and regulations in attempt to appease God and be accepted by God. Now, this, now, what I've told you so far is true. I'm going to give you a bit of what I call spiritual speculation. I believe that the Pharisees found this guy, they befriended this guy, and they brought him in, and he thought he was being accepted, but in fact, he was a pawn. They put him on the front row, so they knew that when Jesus was teaching, they knew the heart of Jesus. Jesus could not pass up a hurting heart. I don't know about you, but I thank God that when I was hurting, when I was lost, when I was having a terrible time, when I was in the hospital, when I was overdosed, when I was wasted and worthless, Jesus couldn't pass a hurting heart. They promised we got to heal hurting hearts. And religion cannot do it. Religion can't do it. As a matter of fact, this is what I believe has happened. So many have come to religion hoping to get help only to get hurt. Only Jesus can heal a withered hand, a withered heart. Only Jesus can set you free from crack. Only Jesus can take that porn addiction away. Only Jesus can give you a great marriage. Only God can bless you. Only, only Jesus can move in miraculously and redeem and set you free. Come on, only Jesus can move in and bring your miracle and open your door and give you what you need and you're looking for. Religion has no power to transform or heal or move. But this is the problem. Listen, if you're listening, say, I am. I am. So many people reject Jesus because all they got was religion. So many people, so many people have walked you into church, drugged out, been wasted, just all this kind of stuff. So many people have walked in hurting, looking for help, and all they got was a list of rules and regulations. It's the reason that we're casually dressed at Faith Promise. When I was 13, I went back to church once. And I had a pair of blue jeans that had this fuzz stuff hanging off the side. I don't know where my mom got. I look like Cochise. <laughs> and because and, and she got our, it was Kmart, and that's where we got our school clothes. And, and she thought it was hip. And I said, Mom, I'm going to get beat up. I'm going to fight wearing these. I wore it to church. And a gentleman walked up. I still know his name. I can still see his face. I still remember where I was at East Lake Baptist Church. He walked up to the son. Next time you come to the house of God, you need to dress better. You wear your best. Now, if I'd been two years older, I'd have knocked 
his block off. I'd have torn his head off and spit in the hole. Because by the time I was 15, 16, I was a lot more of a punk than I was when I was 13. See, what he didn't know was my best. And I said, let me tell you what, man, pop you, I'll never be back. And I didn't go back to church until after I got saved at an, at an overdose at 22. See, religion is, looks on the outward while God looks on the inward. Does this make sense? Are you ready? It's what in verse 7. The scribes and the Pharisees were watching him closely to see if he healed on the Sabbath. See, they're watching him, not to help him, not to bless him, not to minister to him. They're watching him closely so that they could accuse him. Religion always stands ready to condemn you. It's waiting and it's watching. I knew you'd blow it. I knew you'd mess up. And they're ready to jump on your back. Are you with me? And so America thinks that's the God that we serve, that God is just ready, rubbing his hands in heaven, waiting for you to blow it so he can squash you like a bug. That is so far from the God of the Bible. So far from the God of the Bible. I had a lady come to me a month or so ago, tears in her eyes. She said, Pastor, my daughter started coming, and she loves it. In, our, in the youth group, and I had to come and see what was going on, and she said, man, I love it too. She said, I so want to give my heart to Jesus, but I've got some friends that are gay, and if I give my heart to Jesus, I'll have to turn my back on my friends. And I said, ma'am, I don't know where you got that, but you didn't get that here. Because we don't turn our back on people no matter what they're doing. Are you with me? He knew what they were thinking. He knew. And he said to the man with the other, hey, get up and come forward. He got up and he came forward. Now, let me jump to Mark's gospel, the third chapter, because in Mark, he gives us a little nuance that Luke doesn't give us. So in Mark 3, 5, same story, same spot. After looking around at them, Jesus looking at the Pharisees, and what does he, what's he do when he looks at them? He's angry, and he's grieved at what? The hardness of the heart. Listen, church, come on, look up here. Man, we are one step away from a hard heart. It is so easy for a heart to get calloused. It's so easy. And then once you get calloused, there's no feeling. I have calluses on my hands right here, and there's no feeling. I could stab right there and right there with a needle. And I know pastors aren't supposed to have calluses, and, and yeah, yeah, I got that. And there's no feeling there. And when your heart gets calloused, there's no feeling. There's no love. We've got to be so careful. I do things. I go places to break my heart. I do. I do. When I, I took uh, Micah on a senior trip to Africa with Matt Grimes, and, and we split up one day, and there were several teams, and I said, take Micah to the slums in Nairobi because I wanted him to see how horrible some people live. And I go places, and I meet with people, and I do things that are going to keep my, I try to keep my heart soft. Are you with me? Are y'all listening? We've all got to do it. And Jesus grieved at the hardness of their heart. Jesus is furious at that. See, the outcome of religion is a hard heart. And it's easy to get there. Matter of fact, we just hate whole groups of people that are not like us. We lump all homosexuals over here, and we just say, oh, man, they're condemned to hell. And, man, boom, boom, boom. And, and man, we just throw rocks because that's not our issue. Are you with me? It's not our issue. Our issue is gossip. Well, that's not bad. Our issues, you know, we can't, we're glutton. We can't control the fork, and we're destroying the temple of God. But look at those homosexual people over there. We hate all those people over there. Our Muslims, we just hate them all. Just go ahead and bomb them all. The world would be better. Really? Would we really, are we really 
going to consign over a billion people to hell just because it'd be easier for us? See, isn't it easy for your heart to get hardened? Come on, are y'all with me? Is anybody with me? Yeah. And so, man, this is, it's easy to get there. You can love people and not condone their lifestyle. I don't care what Hollywood says. You can love people and not condone. See, religion corrects and the gospel connects. Jesus always connected. Jesus fed people. Jesus healed people. Jesus taught people. Jesus loved people. The woman caught in adultery, she is literally in the sack, in the middle of sex. The Pharisees know where she is. They grab her out of the bed naked, wrap her with a sheet, take her to Jesus, and throw her down in the dirt and say, Jesus, the Bible says to kill her. What do you say? Now, my first question is, where was the stinking pecker head that was with her? Are you with me? I'm going to tell you where he was. Those Pharisees, some who might have already been with that woman, and their buddy was doing what they thought was okay, let's just kill her. See, that's, that is the apex of religion, isn't it? And they bring her, they sling her down because she's a tramp and she's dirty, and that's how she feels. And they're all standing there waiting. Beware of using the Bible to attack and condemn people. Beware. So, because the Old Testament said, stone her, kill her. And Jesus said, all you guys, you that are without this sin, go ahead and cast the first stone. From the eldest to the youngest, they dropped their rocks. Nobody's there. Jesus, the woman's sobbing, man, a pool of mud. And Jesus bends down and says, ma'am, is there no one else to condemn you? Neither do I. The Son of God had all the right and authority to condemn and judge her, for she was caught and trapped in sin. Neither do I. Now, sweetheart, go and sin no more. Jesus connected before he corrected. See, most church people, they don't care to connect. They just want to correct. And after they correct, they go tell their friends how Billy Bad A they thought they were. Are you with me? Are y'all are with me? Come on. Okay, is this getting in your grill a little? Come on, are y'all awake? Not a soul sleeping, is there? This is the deal, Jesus, verse 8. Jesus knew what they were thinking, said to the man with the other hand, get up, come up here. Jesus knew what they were thinking. Jesus knew it was a setup. Jesus healed him anyway, knowing they were going to condemn him because Jesus has never, was never, nor is he politically correct. You know what, people? You don't have to be politically correct. Hollywood doesn't set the agenda. God's Word sets the agenda. Are you with me? All right. Verse 9. And Jesus said, I ask you, is it lawful to do good? What do you guys think? They didn't say a word because they wanted him to heal him so they could get him. They set him right there. Can I tell you what religion does? For, as far as religion is concerned, people are pawns. But with the gospel, people are the priority. Let's just finish it, verse 10 and 11. After looking around them, he said to them, stretch out your hand, and he did so, and his hand was restored. But they themselves were filled with what? 
and discuss what they might do to Jesus. The man is healed. Man who has been exiled from society, brought in. He thought he was been accepted, but he was a pawn. Man, his hand that is withered, dry, natural juices, the juices begin to flow. His hand is restored. Everybody in that synagogue should have done a Holy Ghost boogaloo. They should have been jumping up and down, high-fiving that brand new hand. They should have been shouting, Jehovah is God. He is awesome. But they, man, what a great God. They should have been dancing and celebrating. Are you with me? But was religion celebrating? No, religion was raging because it didn't happen the way they thought it ought to happen. Rage is this, a want of understanding or folly. See, they thought they had to do some stuff to get God to accept them, and the gospel is free acceptance of God no matter where you've been or what you've done. Listen to me. Every drop of blood that fell from that cross was mercy for you. Mercy for you. Say, but pastor, how do we turn from law? How do we turn from the grace to religion? It's so easy. Paul said, you foolish Galatians, who bewitched you? Having begun in the spirit, you're now being perfected in the flesh? What's wrong with y'all? But it's so easy, isn't it? Because our pride wells up. Look at verse 6 of Mark 3. The Pharisees went out and immediately began conspiring with the Herodians against him how they might destroy him. These guys, these guys were their mortal enemies, but the religion got in bed with the wrong people so they might kill the prince of peace. That's what's, that's what's going on. See, religion brings wars while the gospel brings worship. Are you with me? And as we worship, the gospel tears down walls of judgmentalism, of Phariseeism, of racism, of, of sexism, of moneyism, thinking you're better because you got more money than somebody else. I was raised in the 1960s, born in 1960. I was raised through in Chattanooga, Tennessee. I was taught from my earliest memory to hate black people, hate them. I remember race fights, blacks and whites in the projects on 4th Avenue. I mean, that's what I was taught, and that's what I did until 1982 when I gave my heart to Jesus. And one of the first things that Dr. Jesus did was take the scalpel of the Holy Spirit and cut out racism and cut out all that crap, and he filled it with love. Are you with me? Come on, church. We can love people. We can help people no matter what color they are, no matter what they come from. Man, that's the heart of God is to love people. That's what Jesus wants. That's why I love faith promise. Red, yellow, black, and white. They are precious in the sight. I love that, man, we're growing more and more, more and more, looking more and more like heaven. More and more like heaven. Amen, man. I, I believe it honors God. So you'll never rage anybody to righteousness. You'll never hate anybody to holiness, but you will love them to Jesus. The Prince of Peace is in the house. Many of you have been to church before. Listen, many of you have been to church before. And you were rejected because of what you look like or what color your skin was or how much money you have or what kind of car you drove. If you drove a Mercedes, we want you. If you drove a Hoopty, there's no room for you. Are you with me? I love walking through the parking lot at Faith Promise Church. 1962 VW leaking oil. Somebody's got to push it off after church. That's why you park at the top of the hill. I know those tricks. I see it. Parked next to a 19, I mean a 2016 brand new $150,000 Mercedes. And we don't care what you drive, and we don't care where you're from, but we care for your heart and we love you with the love of God. 
And so the, the Prince of Peace is here, not religion. See, religion ruins you. The gospel will redeem you. Jesus paid for your sins, and he's ready for a relationship. So with every head by every eye closed to all of our campuses, if you're ready to begin a relationship with Jesus, have Dr. Jesus cut out your, your hard heart and give you a heart of flesh and breathe his spirit into you and forgive you of your sins. Pray this prayer. Say, Dear Jesus, I know I've sinned. I didn't know you loved me. I wasn't aware of your grace. Forgive me. Come into my heart. Be my Lord and Master. I put my faith in you. I want to follow you the rest of my days. Fill me with love, compassion to give to others what you just gave me in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, give him a shout, would you? You do love you. Yeah. <laughs> oh, hello. Hey. My name is Micah. And I'm Brandon. We're sportscasters. No, we were hired to be sportscasters. <laughs> we're definitely not qualified. <laughs> Zero game day. The Ooh. series starting next week, and it's mm. about your next step here at this mm. church. If it's volunteering, if it's baptism, salvation, getting into a small group, we want you to be connected. Mm -hmm. If I may say so, putting on the jersey. Unbelievable sports analogy, Brandon. Uh, I, I don't know where that came from. It was almost like it was scripted. <laughs> we don't have a script, so that can't be true. Game day next weekend. Mm -hmm. Find your place. Get on the field. We'll be there. You're going to hear a lot of puns about sports and ministry together. Kind of like, I don't know, football. Sports. Baby back ribs. Football. Football. <laughs> <laughs> Golf. <clears throat> well, <laughs> I don't know where they came from, but I think Micah was wearing my shirt. Michelle, I don't know where you are. She gives him my clothes. And it's wrong on so many levels. Next weekend, we start a new series game day. Here's the deal. Christianity, Christ following, has become a spectator sport. In the next four weeks, Hundreds of people are going to crawl out of the stands, off the bench, and onto the field. Amen? And you will never be the same. Listen, there's people down front to pray for you. Love you. Be blessed. See you next weekend. Bring somebody with you.